Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Talking with Andrew and Chris. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chris. And today we've got another great episode. We got to sit down with Brandon from Bumpin' Uglies. He told us everything that the band is working on. He told us, you know, the beginning of his musical career, everything. And we really got to know him and I had a blast. And we talked about the Beatles a lot, which for me was an added bonus. (laughs) But uh, on a serious note, thank you guys so much for all the support you've shown this podcast over the past four months now, I believe, which is crazy to think. Uh, You know, we, we, we could not do this if it wasn't for the support from you guys. So please keep those reviews coming on iTunes, preferably five stars. And we have social medias anywhere you could find... Uh, you know, a friend on the social webs, you can find our podcast, and that's at Talkin' Podcast, Talkin' with no G. And and you can find the links to that in the description of this episode, so please go find us there. Yeah, and while you're down there, we actually have socials for our band as well, The Stash. We just put out a new song not too long ago called Run Into Me. It's on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, all of them, so uh, check it out and... Hit us up on those socials. Let us know what you think. Yeah, and next week we have another amazing episode. We're speaking to Gabo of Feyuka, and then the week after that, we're speaking to Hayden of Tunnel Vision. So stick around. We have a lot more of this, this reggae American scene coming your way. And, and with that being said, here is Locust Avenue by Bumpin' Uglies. Bumping uglies. How you doing, man? I am. I am swell. I am caffeinated and uh, gotten a lot done today, so I'm feeling good about myself. Uh, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Always good to wake up and immediately be productive. Yeah, man. So like, we we recently did like a. Um, <laughs> this is actually this will be a great story, but we did a pledge music campaign um, earlier this year, 
um, for the pre to, to pre-order like a record that we were making, like two records really. We did a live record and a EP and part of the, really like the only thing that you could get aside from pre-ordering the music was I, I, I'm doing handwritten lyrics sheets for people. And there was something like fucking 60 handwritten lyric sheets that I, that I need to do that I've been putting off. <laughs> so I've just been waking up every morning and like going down to the coffee shop down the street from my house and just trying to bang out five of them. Um, I've been doing that for a few days now and it's, it fucking sucks. <laughs> Dude, you've got to be so good at writing now though. Like penmanship oh, and stuff no my 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 handwriting is atrocious it's 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 like comically bad like I, it looks like a third grader damn i guess maybe maybe if you just keep writing over and over again if anything you just stop caring and it deteriorates <laughs> yeah i mean I'm, I'm actually like i'm just i'm just getting to the point where i feel like my hands like slowly like I, i'm like using like you ever play like um like you're talking about like, the claw yeah, or no, like like Skyrim or like fucking like the new Zelda game that was on um, Breath of the Wild, the... of course. 105 yeah. hours, dude. Keep going. He's not so lying. You know, <laughs> you know how your weapons have like um, they have like a, a shelf life, like you use up all the, the fucking things, or like the Master Sword will like you use it up and then it has to recharge and shit. Oh yeah. I feel like I'm approaching the end of the life of my of my right hand at this point. <laughs> <laughs> your right hand has run out of energy. Yeah, oh, exactly. God. Hey, man, but, you know, I, I've been playing guitar for, like, 15 years now, and I'm not going to lie, I have to wear, like, like pressure gloves when I sleep and stuff now because the cramps, they just, like, happen every day. And I think, you know, you might want to look into that, man. Carpel Tunnel is, is very real. Dude, I mean, my mom was a personal, well, is a personal trainer and has been for, like, probably, like, 30 years, and then she became an author and started writing books, and then they had to take the tendon out of her right hand, like, and she wears tape on her hand now to act as a tendon. So, like, you know, it gets you. I remember when I was learning how to play guitar, like I learned how to play on acoustic. So, and I had a shitty acoustic, so it was like hard to, you know, like it didn't have good action on it. Um, and I remember learning bar chords and it being like the biggest struggle for me um, because it's just hard, you know, you remember, like I'm sure you remember learning how to play bar chords. Like it's hard as fuck, like building up that strength in your, in your index finger to be able to do it, especially if it's like a cheaper guitar with like, with bad action. And I remember like cramping up like a motherfucker as I was learning how to do that and thinking I had carpal tunnel. And eventually, I mean, it lasted for about six months and I, I worked through it and um, I've never really had issues with my hands or, or my wrists or anything like that since then, like knock on wood, but like, um, and I do, and I, you know, I pay, I've been paying my bills with music for like fucking five something years. And even before that, I was still playing like six, seven nights a week. You know, so I play, I play a lot. You know, I like to think of it, it's kind of like the same thing. It's, I think about it less with my hands as, as I do with my voice, but people are always asking me about like, like vocal stuff and like how to make your voice strong. And I always tell them like the, the best thing you could ever do is just take a few basic voice lessons to make sure you're singing with proper technique because like it's just so important um, to sing with proper technique. But then aside from that, it's like working out at the gym. You know what I mean? Like your, your voice is a muscle. And if you do it, if you're doing it properly and you're working it out properly, then that muscle will build with repetition and time, you know? Yeah, I had a vocal teacher once tell me that she can sing every day, because I'm also a singer myself, and, and she can sing every day at full potential 
and go for hours. She could sing a nine to five words shift of, of vocal lessons every day because she does the proper technique. And she said that in like her 20 years of like being like, a, I guess, a professional teacher, she never has once like lost her voice or anything, which to me, I'd love to get to that point. Kind of sounds like she's a witch, though. Yeah, <laughs> dude, she she was a, she was a beast at singing. But I'll tell you what. You're totally right about that. It is a muscle. And if you, you know, if you don't sing, I'm sure you probably sing when you're home from tours because you, you know how it is. It's it's tough to shake off those cobwebs. Dude, and like, I'm not a singer, but it's so weird to think about, like, you know, I sing in the car all the time. In the car, I'm probably the greatest singer on earth, just, <laughs> you know, to brag a little bit. And it's so weird that like when I wake up early and I'm driving somewhere and I try to sing something, I'm like, oh my God, I can't hit anything. Like I literally sang this exact same song a week ago and it was so easy. And then like, you don't even think about just warming your voice up that day by talking. Well, that's the thing I think you get the most out of, at least for me, the thing I got the most out of vocal lessons was how to properly warm up. Right. Because so often, you know, the adrenaline takes over and you're fine in the moment. But then that next morning, you're like, it just it hurts and you're gasping for air. So that was like years of my and, you know, tell me if you had the same thing happen, Brandon. Like that was years of like my early high school, you know, like uh, days of like being in bands and playing shows, just not knowing how to do that properly. I've You know, I've honestly never really had problems with that, Um, at least not like that I can recall, like over the last five, six, seven years. I, uh, my biggest thing, and I, I don't warm up either. Like I probably should. I just don't like, I, I don't know. Um, I just never, I've never really been that into it, but my biggest thing is allergies. Like I have like really, really bad pollen allergies. So like growing up, I would always, um, and it's in spring, you know, I would always get like super raspy in spring and get that like just super, super, super raspy voice. And then when I started singing for a living, it was like, uh, I needed to figure out what to do about that because I, I couldn't sing, you know, I would lose my voice entirely. Um, and eventually I figured it out that just um, using the proper allergy medicine, like I use Claritin D with Sudafed, like the stuff you have to get over the counter. Um, you know, if I just, I start taking it at St. Patty's day and I take it, um, I'm actually, I'm still taking it now because it kind of sucks still, but, um, and now I have no problem with it. So like that and hydration are, are my biggest thing, you know, just making sure you drink enough water. Well, uh, maybe you should try Ed Sheeran's tactic because he doesn't warm up either. I think he just smokes cigarettes and drinks heavily and then <laughs> doesn't warm up and still sings like an angel. So maybe you should try that. Dude, I'll tell you, that was actually the, the first thing I did when I when I, when I I like started doing all this shit. Because this is my first band, you know, I was like 22 when I when I started it. And I smoked a pack of cigarettes a day. And I would, uh, I was taking, you know, like I said, I took about like six months of voice lessons, just kind of like learning how to like, like properly do it. Um, and I was doing bar gigs and consistently every night by the third set, I wouldn't have a voice. And I, I figured out, I was like, man, if I'm going to do this, like I need to quit smoking cigarettes. And I was like, see, I've like, you know, I've, I've, I drink like excessively. <laughs> I, I smoke pot from here, you know, every now and again. And really like the only thing I've ever felt like a crazy addiction to was nicotine. Like it's, it's the, just so all consuming. It was one of the hardest things I ever did quitting smoking cigarettes. But it, as a singer, it was probably the best decision I ever made. No, yeah, I mean, 100%, dude, I can definitely already, you know, not that I was ever a smoker, but I mean, just, just when I have like a few sips of, of anything alcoholic, the next morning, I just feel it. And I'm like, well, great, good thing I don't have to record for like the next three weeks, because my recovery time is just, I don't know about you, but it's so slow. Yeah, it's I, don't, ridiculous. I don't know how he did it when I was, you know, uh, our buddy Cameron, he like, he took such good care of his voice, like, it was insane, like, he would literally get off stage, and he was in a band where like, 
like a couple hundred young girls would really want to yeah, talk to him immediately. He used to do merch for a Disney pop band. Yeah, <laughs> humble brag. And um, and he would just wear like one of those signs that just says vocal rest. I'm like, damn, this dude does not take a break. And if they had to show the next day, he would not be at the party. Like he would just already be asleep. I'm just like, damn, this so, dude. I think it's genetics. Like some people, it seems like yeah. you, Brandon, might have stronger genes than maybe like me or Cameron because yeah. I'm, I'm just hypersensitive to any anything. And after I sing, especially, I got to have like at least like a two hour downtime. Can't be going out and talking over like loud music or whatever. You know, I just I just got to chill. Yes, yeah, it's it's crazy. I, I definitely have known people like that, um, and, and met people like that. But dude, like I, I just grew up in the, like I came up in this, this school of of thought of like just getting hammered <laughs> like every night. When I'd, like, dude, there was a period of, of at least like five years where I was just like, like I could not go on stage without having a few beers before it because of stage fright, and then I would just drink whiskey all night, and then stay up and drink more whiskey <laughs> you know what i mean because like when like especially when we first started touring and we didn't have any money and we were just like crashing on people's floors and shit you know like it was just it was like a, just a, a, a big blackout that lasted about three to five years <laughs> totally now this this sort of sounds like a little bit of the lyrical content in locust avenue uh, one of your newest songs yeah well locust avenue is more of a um that's a story about when me and my, my friends that I went to high school with were 19. And um, it was that first like house, you know, like first like house that, that we all had as quote unquote adults. Like I didn't actually live there. It was all like my friends that I was like partying with at the time. And, um, you know, it's just that, that first like flop house where it's like people sleep, but it's not a fucking home. It's like, it's just constant, constant party. It's like a frat house, but without the fraternity. Just walls to contain the raging. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. Why don't you Why don't you walk us through the history of, of you as a musician yourself and how you came to be in in Bump and Uglies? You know, just sort of sort of take us back to, to the beginning. Well, I mean, I, I always loved singing, like from an early age. Like my mom was real into like theater and like show tunes and stuff. So like, I was always like hearing that kind of stuff, which was always like very very vocally driven, you know. So I'd always like be singing in the car and just just love singing in general. Um, and I always messed around on the piano. Like I was always super fascinated with the piano. Like, honestly, like I, I always say, like, if I could trade playing guitar for piano, I would do it in a second. Like I just never had a piano. So I, I kind of, eventually when I got my first guitar, it was like, you know, that's what I, I lost myself in, but I, I've always loved piano. Like, and, and honestly, like the, the person that made me want to write songs was Ben Folds. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. Love him. Yeah. So like, that lot his the Ben Folds live album came out when I was a freshman in high school and I remember I just like wore it out for about two years um because everything about that was just like I loved it you know like he was he's this like brilliant composer on the piano and with a slamming voice but also like his style of, of writing lyrics it's like super intelligent but also like very sarcastic and um self-deprivating and just not that serious you know what I mean like like, I, I love that kind of stuff, like, like where, where it's smart but funny, you know? Um, so that's, like, that was, like, really the first thing. I was like, damn, like, I really like this. Like, and, you know, I'd always loved writing. Like, I never wrote songs, but I would always write, like, short stories. And just, you know, I was very into, like, reading when I was a kid. Um, so I got my first guitar when I was 17. And I just, like, I was just go I was going through my, like, my first breakup, you know? 
like first like serious breakup and I, I just lost myself in the guitar for six months um, learning cover songs and I immediately started playing like like the talent show at my high school and just like you know I'd go downtown to the um this the city I live in I would go like to the downtown area and like play on street corners with my buddy for like beer money you know <laughs> and uh, I just you know I, I liked I liked performing uh, immediately um and then you know I, I graduated high school and I worked a restaurant job pretty much straight out of high school and we started having an open mic at the restaurant that I worked at um and I was about like 21 22 and I was playing like you know cover songs like I was playing like Wonderwall and Sadie and so and shit like that and um my classics. manager, the classics, the hits, yeah. <laughs> like I was, dude. I, I was, I was guitar guy at the party long before I had a band. Like I was like the dude that would like show up at the house party with a guitar, nice. and, like play songs like obnoxiously. <laughs> Chris D'Elia has a skit about that guy. I, I don't mean, know if you've ever heard that, it's only obnoxious <laughs> if people don't like it. This is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I, you know, I, I had the hits like ready to go from being that guy. And, you know, so I started doing open mics and my manager at the restaurant that I worked with, he was about like, you know, he's like about 15 years older than me and had been in bands his whole life. He was a bass player. And he's like, dude, like, you're pretty good. Like, let's start a band. Like, just play bar gigs around town and shit. I was like, dude, that sounds like fun. Let's do it. And we started doing it. Um, And, you know, it forced me to learn like a lot more songs. Um, And I had a lot of fun. Like, immediately. I loved it. Like, I, I was like, I was and probably still am like really into drinking so like the idea you know like <laughs> i was like bartending at the time too like i loved bartending because i could drink when i bartended and i love playing music because like you know it's like i, I love playing music but also like playing gigs like you're getting encouraged to get drunk while you play which is like in retrospect not like a healthy attitude and i've kind of grown out of that but it was immediately like appealing like i loved everything about playing music so um from there you know i started writing and just like got into this whole world of, of, of music and being in bands and everything about it. And I kind of just like, I was at that period in my life where I was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I was like, damn, like, I like this. I'm good at this. Like this could be it, you know? And then kind of was just all in from there, man. Like I met Wolfie, my bass player a few years later and he became the new bass player when, when my old bass player was like over it. And um, then we kind of immediately started touring and, and, that was it. Nice, man. So is, is Wolfie the dude with the crazy dreadlocks? Yeah, yeah. We, we have two dudes with crazy dreadlocks now. Oh, okay. Wolfie's, oh, snap. Like, Chad, Chad is uh, the keyboard guitar player, like Asian dude with crazy dreadlocks. And then Wolfie is the bass player, big beard, uh, bass playing, crazy dreadlocks. Very cool. Now, what age were you guys when you really started to, you know, realize you had something here and you wanted to start, you know, touring and and just get your music out there more than just the Maryland area, dude. Well, like we started touring way before I thought we had something. <laughs> like <laughs> we toured, we toured like way before there was a fan base. Like I kind of like from like just watching like friends, you know, who did it. Like I was under in the school of thought, like you have to tour to develop a fan base, you know, because like we didn't have any money, we didn't have any like support. So like, you know, we had, we had like friends around town, you know, like our fans were like our friends, you know? And, um, you know, I was just seeing bands like from the area that were like, you know, like quote unquote doing it, like, like Ballyhoo. Um, and then 
Pasadena was this other band and they were both torn and you know neither one of them was like like Bally he's killing it now but like this is like fucking almost 10 years ago so they weren't doing anything even like this was before they were even on law records you know so it was like they were playing like very very small clubs and like still some like bars with stages and shit but still it was like they were out there doing it you know and like people liked them you know you could tell they had like legit fans so I was like damn well that's just what we have to do we have to go out and tour um and then from there, you know, we just started touring and then slowly but surely you, you start developing those fans, you know, like we just gave away CDs and just met people and met more people and slowly but surely it, it built into something. But honestly, like it wasn't until probably like four or five years ago that we really, I, I felt like we really had something, you know? No, totally, man. Now you, you just touched upon Ballyhoo. I know you guys put out um a, a few a few albums with uh with right coast records uh, if not at least uh keep keep it going um um keep so it together keep it together yeah, we, yeah 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 so yeah why don't you talk about that and sort of like how you know being in that that maryland scene maybe sort of helped you guys like you know progress and move move forward because it seems like that area sort of has like a high volume of this american reggae bands that are that are sort of coming up and, and doing doing the thing yeah well i mean it's a small scene, you know what I mean? Like on this side of the country, for sure. Um, you know, like, like people, when they think of like American reggae, American reggae, it's even called Cali reggae a lot of times. So like, you know, California is kind of synonymous with it. So being on essentially the wrong side of the country, if you play this genre of music, you, you fucking know pretty much everybody. <laughs> um, you know, so like, I, you know, I was very familiar with Ballyhoo. Um, when we got into this, just being from being like similar sounding bands, you know, then, you know, we played shows with them. We did some touring with them and I've just gotten closer and closer with Howie over the years because like, we're very kind of like like-minded in the sense that we're, we're both like the captain of our respective ships and we're both like super like methodical and goal oriented, you know? So like I would I would pick his brain like every chance I would get because you know there's this dude that's just like like several steps ahead of me on the the journey that I'm watching walking you know so I was trying to just figure out how to make it easier just how to make it work you know so you know we we developed a relationship over the years and eventually um, we were putting out keep it together um, and we you know we decided to to team up with them to put that out and then that team that you know that went well we did some more touring with them and then it eventually turned into um, working with Howie as a producer like how he's produced our last two releases now which has been awesome it's like one of the best things we ever did because like my whole approach to like music has always been more from like a songwriting perspective like I've always been way more into writing lyrics and just like kind of coming up with you know, like chord progressions and shit. Like I'm really, I'm really honestly like at this point in my life, like I'm way more into like, like Americana and like folk rock and, and shit like that. Like just like real singer songwriter shit. So like, I, I never really put a huge um, emphasis on like the sonic aspect of it. Whereas like how it's like his bread and butter, like he's super, super into that. So like starting to work with him in that capacity was like a huge learning experience and consequently it made our sound like that much bigger and and cooler and um yeah man it's just been great I, I, you know I, like i it, it, for me it was like a whole new it was like getting a whole new set of colors like a whole new palette of colors because i just never really thought about all that stuff 
and then you know you see what it does to your music you're like holy shit this is like a whole new um manner of expression you know no, 100%. And, you know, that that's one of the things that I, I've been listening to you guys for about roughly two years now. Um, and, you know, so, so much so that at the start of me and Andrew's band right now, you guys were one of the reasons where I wanted to work in some reggae undertones into our music. You know how the creative process goes. We thought we were going to sure. be one thing, and now we're something completely different. But what I really <laughs> like yeah. about your songwriting is I have such a clear picture in my head I, I, I like you know when I listen to music I don't I, you know takes a it takes a real song to make me see a picture and like an image in a scene almost in my in my head as I'm listening to your song and I get that from multiple songs you know sorry not sorry Locust Avenue just to name a few I can just so clearly see the folk that that bleeds through but yet it isn't folk you know it's because it, the melody also is very catchy and sweet. So to me, that's just like, why don't you walk us through like your, your lyrical approach and how you fit, like, cause, cause you know, not everything rhymes, but it's, it never conflicts with the melody, which is something I think that like some pop folk artists struggle doing. Dude, it's, it's funny you mentioned rhyming. Cause that's actually like something I, re I try to do and I'm just not that good at, but like, I, I feel like that's like, I feel like that's like the real, um, the real testament of like a strong lyrical composition is like when a song doesn't rhyme and it's still like awesome and like and 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 strikes you you know because like songwriters we kind of have like this crutch to lean on with like rhyming you know what i mean like it's much it's much easier to kind of like string together some words that rhyme and just call it a song than it is for example like poetry where you have to like really get across the thought and every word, every syllable matters more. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, you know, I, I strive to do that. And there's only been a few, I feel like every time I try to, well, like, I'm going to say like 75% of the time where I try to do it, it comes across as like contrived and um, I just don't like it. And then I don't use it, but every once in a while I'll, I'll, I'll do it, but it's definitely not my strong point. But I mean, for me, like lyrics are just like my whole approach with like lyricism is, is just like honesty. I try to be, as like honest as possible and relatable as possible. So like there's a lot of songs, pretty much like most of my songs are about like my my life and like situations I've lived through. And as I've gotten older, like what I've tried to do is like I, I take those situations and I try to make them as general as possible. So it's like, so it's as like widely um, relatable as possible, you know? Cause like I don't want people who are just from like Annapolis to feel it. Like I want anyone who hears it to be like, Oh damn. Like that's what it was like for me when I was growing up or like, you know, that's what it was like for me the first time I went through a breakup or whatever, you know? And, um, I don't know, man. It's, 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 it's like, I, I have like several different, like, I, I just like, I kind of like, just like music, you know what I mean? So like, I'm like, sometimes I'm like, I'll be into like, I'm real into like, like hip hop. Like I love like nineties hip hop and like there's some, some more contemporary stuff I like too, but like, I, I love that style of writing lyrics. You know, like I love like, like folk punk, you know, like love punk. I just like, like I, there's, I'm very ADD with what I like. And I kind of try to do all of that within this band, you know? So like every song kind of has a different tone and a different meter and a different style of delivery.
Well, I mean, I think that, you know, if you keep it stale in the same thing, then people get bored. But it seems like people are uh, liking, you know, what you're putting down. You uh, mentioned before we really got on the call that you guys were doing a festival soon, right? Yeah, man. We're um, we're, we're putting on our first festival here um, June 13th through the 15th in Bedford, Pennsylvania. It's called Weekend at Wolfie's. Um, it's, uh, I think we got like, like a little over 20 bands um we're doing four sets six hours of music no repeats i'm fucking i'm I'm stoked man it's something i've wanted to do for shit we played our first festival i guess in like 2012 2013 and that was never like anything i was into growing up so like the first time i ever saw one it was like just crazy to me like it's like an adult theme park you know it's like the ultimate (laughs) the ultimate bar gig yeah man it's <laughs> just it's just like a huge just a huge party and it, uh, you know like depending on like the festival they can have these crazy like family vibes it's like it's like a vacation for people who don't really take vacations i guess you know what i mean like everybody kind of just goes away for the weekend and they're concentrated on music and having fun and like camaraderie and like you know that's so like the first time i saw that it was something i wanted to do but it's like there's a lot i didn't want to do it half-assed i really wanted to like do it well and um it's a big investment doing something like that and then there's a lot of organization that goes into it and for the longest time i didn't have anyone in my life that i I trusted enough to try to do that because i don't really have the time to like wear that hat and how much i tour and like when i'm not touring i'm writing and then you know family shit and just everything um and you know we started working with our with with zach you were saying i think you talked to zach to set this up yep yep so we started working with Zach a little over a year ago, and he over the course of his career, he you know he came from the jam band world. So he's put on about like thirty something festivals over his career. He had like templates ready to go when we decided to pull. You know, when I asked him about that, he's like, "Dude, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of these. We can totally do it." So, um, you know, we had all the tools in place. We pulled the trigger, and fucking, it seems like it's it's been a lifetime of planning. But we're like eight days out, nine days out now. No, yeah, I mean, to me, it sort of sounds like you guys are doing the twiddle thing with the uh, the four sets. You know, every time I see those guys' yeah, names man. on a flyer, they're playing like at midnight, at 2 p.m., and it looks <laughs> awesome. I wish I could go. It's never in our area, but. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's funny because we got, my, like, my wife is, like, super into twiddle, and we've, like, over the years have gotten a lot of comparisons to twiddle, and I just never hear it. <laughs> like, I don't I don't hear it, but I, I guess I, I kind of hear it in the sense where it's, like. I'm sure like, it's Molly. a compliment. No, it's definitely a compliment because, like, his shit is, like, very singer-songwriter-based, too. Like, he writes, like, dope lyrics. Um, like, like uh, When It Rains, It Pours. Like, it's a beautiful song, you know? Oh, 100%, man. Um, and, and I got I got to say that, you know, I, I, I keep going back to this song because when I went to check out your new EP, I was just so blown away by how strong this was as a first track. The Locust Avenue vibe. You know, you, you have your, everyone, you know, all of you guys in the scene, you have your own uniqueness, but just the delivery and the honesty behind the story that you're telling did give me twiddle vibes, especially with Hell the yeah, musical man. progression, you know, because that's like sort of a three... I'd say it's like a three, uh, you, you, that song's like a movement. It has three separate movements in it. You know, you start off with the more indie folk, indie folk part one, then you go into the reggae and then you end it on the punk. And that's sort of what you said earlier, where it's like, you just love it all, don't you? Yeah, man. Like, I, I like trying to be weird and like, keep it, keep it eclectic. And, you know, actually, I'd say out of all our songs, like sonically, I think Locust Avenue has one of the, the most twiddle vibes of anything we do, because it has that, like in the beginning when it's like, 
the guitar is doing the rhythm and then there's the arpeggiated piano like that's very much like a twiddle thing for sure 100%. Now I want to I want to double back to this festival you guys are booking. So I know you said that your manager Zach was a very big part of helping you put this together, but I would assume you guys were a part of sort of the curation of of the artists that you wanted to play and and sort of be a part of of your festival. So why don't you talk us through like that process and how you guys sort of crafted who would be playing and and who you'd offer to play. Well, I mean for starters like so like we have this like we're like thought of like very very like commonly as like a reggae rock band which I, I you know like we definitely play like reggae rock but you know like i think we do like a little bit of everything like we do a lot of shit you know but like um that said like i did not want this we did we did not want this to be like a reggae rock festival like we just wanted it to be like a cool festival with our friends you know so like we just booked bands that we, we have relationships with, with uh, that from, from touring and from just being around home. Like, like one of the bands, the Grilled Lincolns, um, who is from, they're from Baltimore. They don't like tour at all, but like they're like, when we first started playing gigs around town, like they're in the, in the shit of it, you know, like they were really active and playing a lot of, a lot of gigs and they've just been our friends. Like the first time we ever went out to, to California like a million years ago it was us and the grilled Lincolns in our first van you know together just like going around playing bar gigs sleeping on floors so like you know they're the homies like we we definitely wanted them um like Oogie Wawa you know a similar story like we've just been touring with them for probably like five six seven years so you know we wanted to have them Tropidelic some of our best friends at this point um in, in the industry. So, you know, we wanted to have them. So like, it was, it was just a matter of getting bands that we had relationships with that we liked personally and that we liked their music. And then obviously like budget was a huge concern too, since it's like, you know, like a self-financed first year festival, we wanted to keep the, um, the talent budget super low. Cause that's one of the things that like triples festivals, you know, that's how you'll have like a crazy loss is when you spend too much on bands. So like, you know, like really like the, the ultimate theme, like like what was one of the things we wanted to do with this festival was to like, we didn't want to try to put together some kind of like crazy festival where people are going to like. Um, I mean, you don't have Ja Rule on the team, so I think you're doing a good job. <laughs> we, we didn't, we, we, we wanted to build it around Bumpin' Uglies, you know what I mean? Like we wanted it to be kind of like a Bumpin' Uglies appreciation weekend and then have all our friends out to play and, and, and take part of that. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. Um, and, and, and it's I'm glad you brought up Tropidelic because that is something that I actually wanted to uh, touch upon. It seems like you guys have not only done a lot of, of shows together and, and, and there obviously is a chemistry, but you guys collaborate quite often. Uh, why don't you why don't you sort of and every time you do it to me I, I love it I think it's awesome I love how you let them in on sort of like the more hip-hop track you could say on the new record so, so why don't you talk about like like that process and sort of like you know like because you were on their album they were on yours how that stuff comes about I mean they're just like they're the homies you know and and, and we like we know that like our fans like love it when we collaborate and we also like you know, I've got a lot of respect for those guys, like, like the whole band, but, you know, like from a lyrical perspective, like Rhodes and James are both very talented. James is like prolific with what he does with rapping. Like, it's incredible. Like, I wish I could do that shit. <laughs> um, and uh, it's just like, 
it, it's just kind of like an, an obvious choice for me when we're doing a track like that that's kind of like a party track. Like, okay, so back to, like, hip-hop. Like, I love the Wu-Tang Clan. I fucking love the Wu-Tang Clan. Like, 36 Chambers, like, fucking changed my life. <laughs> when, I was in the, when I was in high school, I discovered that shit. So, like, one of the things that I love about that is, like, you listen to, like, a Wu-Tang album and you got like eight voices you know what i mean like or one track you got like fucking like six six voices you know you got odb and then raquan and then fucking ghostface killer just boom 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 you know so like when we do tracks like that like i, I like i want that like i like that and i like doing that on stage too like being able to bring up like everybody and have it just like be like a mob of people you know because it's like just high energy you know so like when we're going for a track like that it's kind of an obvious choice to get them up because they're talented and we play with them a lot and the fans love it, so it, it just kind of makes sense, you know. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Now, is is sort of like writing with the live show in mind something you do often, or did it just happen to work out in this in this circumstance? Well, like, yeah, I mean, I, so like, I'm always kind of conscious of it, but like, what I kind of try to do. So like, <laughs> if I was left in my own devo- devices, I'd probably write like sad boy singer songwriter shit for the rest of my life. Like, if I <laughs> like, that's kind of just like where my head's at. You know, like fucking just like Elliot Smith kind of shit. Um, but, but but like from a business perspective, you know, like, like those are the tracks, the, the party tracks are the ones that people really get into, you know. So I kind of try to force myself if I catch myself like in a rut of like writing just like like kind of chill, sad songs for a while. You know, I, I try to force myself to to just like, you know, I'm like, all right, I'll concentrate on this hook that I have, you know, because like. I don't know about you, but like my my phone is just like I have just like hook ideas that I've thought up over the years, like forever and ever and ever. Like the buzz idea, I came up with that idea like five years ago, you know, and I, I wrote most of the hook. And I just, you know, kind of just sat there. And eventually I was like, man, I'm gonna I just need to finish this song. It's a good song. Um so like, you know, and, and like songwriting, just like anything else, it's a discipline, especially like as you get older. Like there's a um one of my favorite songwriters is this dude, Joe Pug, um, who has a, a podcast himself called The Working Songwriter. And he interviews a lot of um, older songwriters and contemporary songwriters that are just like killing it. And they're always talking about how like scheduling time for songwriting, which I always thought was weird. I was like, that's so weird and like not romantic and not like, um, you know, it's like, before it's like, oh man, like I'm just gonna go with the creativity as it comes. Like I didn't get it, and I had my first kid five years ago, and or five months ago. I'm sorry. And um, after that happened, it was like I went from having like very little free time to having absolutely no free time. So it's like now I, I like schedule time in the mornings. You know, like I try to sit aside like an hour or two, like work on just guitar, or, like writing, and you know, like exercise and shit like that. Um. So that's like a new thing, but you kind of, you know, it's kind of like, I've always kind of had to, to a certain degree, I've had that philosophy of songwriting in general. You know what I mean? Like it is a discipline. Did that answer your question? No. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Now, one thing that I do is see, I guess maybe I, I'm 25 right now and uh, we're sort of me and Andrew, we just, we just signed to like a, an indie label and we're sort of trying to build something up. So I have a lot more free time, I suppose, than you do. So I wait for that inspiration to come. I, I, and, and to me, it's, it's so far been serving a purpose, but you know, that's, that's interesting, man. I don't, I, I think I am pretty regimen because I realize if I wait too long, then the muscle sort of starts to fade. And then the first, if I wait like a month, then the, the first three songs back always suck. 
suck after I get like into the groove of it again. But I've never I've never thought about it like as an exercise. Yeah, man. Like I know a lot of people who like sit up like James actually from Tropidelic, like he will wake up every morning and he writes 16 bars regardless, you know, and a lot of times he throws them away and a lot of times they end up in a song, you know, but I, I, I don't know, man. Like I think of it like there's some like ancient like Chinese proverb about like doing something. If you do something for like 10,000 hours, you become a fucking master at it, you know? Mm-hmm. I think 10,000 hours. Dude. We talk about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you, you fucking uh, songwriting. I feel like it's no different than anything else. Like, I mean, dude, like, People ask me about that all the time too, like songwriting. It's like, how do you how do you learn how to write songs and lyrics? Well, it's like, well, I wrote like thirty songs that were dog shit, and then I got better at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, dude, and you know, in a way, I, I'm sort of a little envious of of you because we've landed in this pop field. And don't get me wrong, I, this is the out of like the fifteen years I've been making music and whatnot. This music speaks to me. I go back and listen to past recordings just to like see if I still feel the way I felt about those songs and there was so much to still be learned and there always is, but I wish, cause in the pop world, you have to stay sort of in the straight and narrow. And we're trying to find our own niche. Like we, we like to think we have two people in our band who really understand like guitar solos and blues. So we're trying to incorporate that in a way that isn't obnoxious, but for you, it just seems like you have so much more creative expression and freedom to explore in your writing because you have a hip hop track. You have, you know, like, uh, like almost like a roots reggae style song, you know, and then you have like your, your fusion songs, like a locust Avenue. So, I mean, in, in a sense, does that make it harder to balance all those different styles or, or does it, does it just make it more freeing and easier than like someone like me who sort of has to stay in between the lines to an extent? I mean, like, I think it's different strokes for different folks, man. Like it was, it was definitely like really hard in the beginning because like ultimately it fell on us to develop a fan base and to um, pay for everything, you know? So that's like, that was our only option was going out and playing shows and saving money, you know? And like n- now we're at a point where we have a fan base, so it's fucking awesome. Like we can do, we can essentially just do whatever we want. I feel like as long as it's honest and, you know, we're not, I feel like as long as we put out something that like, that we're stoked about, you know, we're never trying to like compromise to like sell something. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, like, like I feel like if we were ever disingenuous with what we were doing and creating, then I feel like it would show in the music and then people would pick up on that. And, you know, like I, I feel like a lot of, a lot of what our, our fans like about us is they can really tell that it's coming from an honest place so that said it's it, it's cool yeah like we can we can do what we want but so from like the pop perspective i would say that um like it's kind of cool you said you got like an indie label like i, I don't know what they're doing for you for like marketing or, or anything like that but that's like fucking rad if you can if you can if you can do that you know like if you can create something that people see they believe in it and they're like, all right, we're going to help you out. We're going to, we're going to help push this. We're going to give you some of those tools and you don't have to like build the road yourself. You know, like there's a lot to be said for that, I think. And I mean, yeah, maybe it does require you to like stay within the lines a little bit more, but I feel like there's so many stories of like, like all the best. Um, I feel like something like a lot of them, like all like, like look at Nirvana, for example, like that was not in the lines of fucking at, at all. Like it changed the whole world sonically, but like true you know, they, what, what they did worked, you know, like, you know, they, they, right. and, and you kind of have to have that initial belief and foundation to get to that point, to create something like that. 
100%. And don't get me wrong, man. I, 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 we definitely, like every song is about a specific moment in my life that really affected me in a positive or negative way. It's just you, you the kind of pop we make. And I think it's, it's interesting because it's a challenge in the sense that you always have to be on top of your game. You have to very much so be a student of what is happening right now in the world. But we're not going for the top 40s. We're going for like someone who can play like a Coachella. Like we, you have to be current, but also carve out your own personality. And it's been happening more and more every song. But it is it is a challenge. Whereas I wish that like, you know, um, I, I wish that it sort of less of a student because I don't listen to as much of the pop music as I do to like like a, a style that you guys do or like a bluegrassy folk type thing. So it's 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 interesting and I, I definitely learn a lot doing it. But you know, um it's 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 just it's it's a weird, very, you know, hard field to sort of like have to to like do this in, but I love it at the same time. I love the challenge of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well I think that like when we, you know, decided to try doing the pop thing, we were kind of thinking like, oh pop has to sound like this or dream pop has to sound like this and future pop whatever that means sounds like this you know like and it was like you have to pick one of those and then be good at it but pop like I feel like we're realizing now in these past few weeks especially like talking to our guests on here like pop just is short for popular so it really isn't necessarily this is pop it's just pop is what most of the planet likes just generally so like we you know like Nirvana is a great example like they kind of like obviously by like genre standards, they're not pop because they were grunge, but they were the most popular band in the world at one point, I think, probably. Yeah, I mean, dude, they, they, they were absolutely the most popular band when they came out, and they, they like exactly they killed hair metal essentially. That was pop, you know. And then Nirvana came boom. along, and then boom, like fucking grunge is the thing for a bit, you know. I, you know, like I think with pop, it's like, and it's just like anything else, man. Like reggae rock is is like you have people who are. There's a formula that works. Like, dude, reggae rock right now is like one of the bigger, bigger like styles of music in the in the country. I would say, like, you have like, like, there's definitely a huge scene for it. Like, there's 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 festivals popping up every every summer. There's new festivals popping up, and you have like five bands that can go out and do amphitheater tours every summer. Like, it's fucking huge, man. Like, um, and uh, there's definitely bands that are like, they're bands that are following the formula and they're trying to become like that next big reggae rock band. And then there's bands that are just like fucking doing it, you know, and like innovating and shit, you know? And that I feel like that you can apply that to anything, you know, you can, uh, you can try to like do the formula or you can try to fucking set the new precedent, you know? I, I think that what you guys sort of do with every album is you, you, and I, I've been following the progression for a while now and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like every album we get, to know your personality as a songwriter even 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 stronger than the the last release like for example look at look at the last track on your newest album uh, this is ours you know that to me that feels very george harrison inspired almost like a beatles piano Dude, that, ballad that's but it's, exactly what we were going for it was it was like beatles meets citizen cope yep i hear i hear it in the guitar playing man so so I think I'm taking away a lot from this, you know, and, and it's not I don't want you to think I'm like afraid and trying to stay in the lines too much. It's just that like two and a half years ago, we were for all intents and purposes, a folk blues band. And yeah. then we tried something different once in the studio and then the, the snowball happened and we're like, well, we're here now, dude. And, you know, and that's happened like three times. <laughs> I say, yeah, dude, do, yeah. do whatever the fuck makes you happy, man. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. Do, do whatever makes you happy and like you can pay the bills with, you know. Yeah, I'm, I feel Working like I'm up to that part. But I, yeah, I feel like <laughs> talking talking to you. I'm learning that, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, 
our band needs to acquire an actual fan base that likes our band and not just like one of our songs or something. But I'm learning that as long as you're putting out, like as long as when you're putting out that music, you're putting out what you want to put out and it's like the song you are writing. And it's not just like, oh, well, I'm putting this out because I know that like so-and-so will like it, but it's whatever to me. Like, I don't care. As long as your heart is behind it, like people will like it because they feel that when they listen to it, whether it's a song that they would have liked, like, you know, without knowing anything about it or not, like people feel the emotion and the honesty from it. So I think that that that's something I'm taking away from today. Oh, yeah, yeah I think I think it's just stop overthinking it seems to be exactly. the moral of the story. And Andrew tells me that all the time. But it's true. I don't think ever. Before we let you go here, um, I just got to say that there was a point in time where I was very frustrated with music and I didn't really play much music at all. I, I almost took like a six month break. I had an old contract go south. Um, just a little backstory on that. And the Beatles brought me out of that. You know, I was I was working at a, at a retail store and I heard them being played over the speakers and I was like, wow, you know, the Beatles are really good. And then for some reason, yeah. I put them on in the car ride home and the rest is history. And I know you guys did an Oh Darling cover, which is one of my favorite Beatles songs. And and this is ours is very George Harrison. So, you know, as as a Beatles fan, like, why don't you why don't you tell me about how they impacted you and sort of, you know, cra- helped help, I'm sure help shape your songwriting. Oh, dude, well, it's, I was literally like, like an hour ago, two hours ago, I texted Howie about um, an idea I had because I, I think like, so we have three singers in the in the band. Like we do a lot of harmonies and shit. Um, so obviously, like Beatles, big harmonies and shit. But like, I want to, I kind of want to put together a dub reggae, like 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 kind of hip hop, but like dub reggae version of because I think it could be fucking rad. And um, yeah, I just I I do the Beatles for me. Like, I don't know, man. Like it's like. One of the, like, there's like, a, there's only like a few like, like bands like that where I can like, they just like instantly like gave you the feels with everything. You know what I mean? Like fucking like the Beatles, Ben Folds and like the Avid Brothers, like right off the top of my head or like, like bands like that where everything was just like so prolific and epic. And it's a combination of like, like, so uh, for like when I was younger, it, it was like, I was focused more on like the lyrics and the harmonies and, and whatnot and the melodies. And now as I get older, I, I, I'm, and like I said, I'm learning more about like the sonic aspect of it. You know, I'm, I'm like, you, you really appreciate um, just how prolific their, their studio game was, especially for the times. And like, you know, like nowadays we have like unlimited tracks if you want to make a song, but, you know, they were doing everything with what, like 16 tracks or something. And um, yeah, true. You never, I never really think about that, but uh, that George Martin, man, you know, he was a crafty fellow. Dude, fuck recording an analog. <laughs> I can't, Im- I can't imagine. <laughs> true. It. Yeah, never done it. Don't think I ever will, but. Yeah, hell no. <laughs> so, yeah, Do you I mean, have a favorite, a favorite Beatle? I, George Harrison, probably, man. Yeah, I, I love George. Like, okay. I, honestly. That's a, sa- that's a safe answer. I feel like that one's less divisive. No, nah, dude, I'll, I'll say it. John Lennon, John Lennon was an asshole, dude. Like, I, I like, I love. <laughs> yes, thank you. Like, John Lennon, I love was, a, John Lennon was a piece of shit, dude. Like, he bailed on his, like, on his first son. Like, he fucking, like, beat women and shit. Like, I, I you know, like, I'm. Whatever, man. Maybe I'm gonna catch shit for saying that, but like, he, you know, he wrote "Strawberry Fields," which I love. But like, as a human being, like, I would not have gotten along with John Lennon because, like, it I happened, feel like John man. Lennon was like one of the original hipsters. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. oh, for sure, man. He's, and I'm he's right not, there. He's not my Beatle. Yeah, like Paul McCartney. <laughs> Paul McCartney's the man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, I, oh, totally. I, I love Paul, but like, like as far as like, 
like from a songwriting perspective, like I, I, something is like one of my, my all time favorite Beatles songs. Like it's a, just a beautiful song, man. Amazing. Like, I, I think like, like, I think, okay. So like, I think John's songwriting is a little too like hip and like abstract for me and like weird for the sake of being weird. And then I think Paul like is a little too like critical and overthinking and like, like, like Paul, like Paul's obviously like very brilliant. Um, but like, I feel like George like ha- did the best job of just like capturing emotion. You know what I mean? Well, you know, all things must pass is my favorite Beatles solo effort. So hell yeah, man. <laughs> my- and I mean, we we can we can all agree that Ringo is that little brother that like gets brought into the friend group, but then eventually you're like, all right, he's pretty cool, and then he is part of the friend group, but like he's always kind of on the outside, but still on the inside. My drummer, yeah, yeah. My drummer always fucks with me. Like he he loves just being like a troll. So like. He'll be like, well, we'll be talking about Star Wars and he'll be like, oh man, Jar Jar Binks like really was the star of the series. You know, like he really like saved the whole thing. So he'll, he'll do that same thing with Ringo. He's like, oh man, like Yellow Submarine, Octopus's Garden, am I right? Those songs are fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up, TJ. Like, that's, those are the Beatles songs people remember, man. Love it. Dude, Love like, it, man. Like, it's just like, okay, so like another one of my like favorite Beatles songs is um, She's So Heavy. And like on Abbey Road, you go from Octopus's Garden into She's So Heavy. It just makes Octopus's Garden look that much worse, I think. <laughs> yeah, Ringo got the shitty end of the stick, I guess. Hey, dude, but Ringo's what a, sh- a great stick to be on. Dude, he's, he's a great drummer, too. And, like, I just don't like his songs, man. That's just, that's just me, though. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. I don't know any of his solo songs, although there is a thing that people say. I, I haven't looked this up to see if it's correct or not, but I'm pretty sure he has the most number one uh, singles as a solo artist uh, after the Beatles. I feel like so that I, can't be true. Well, I think it's because he only ever had the one project. George and John passed away, and Paul did a couple different things uh, afterwards. Okay, yeah, I think enough. I think that's the reason. Oh why. yeah, solo. I guess mm-hmm. so. Like yeah, not including like Wings why. and stuff like that. Yeah. Not yeah. including Wings. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. But Wings is a dude. And then once I was finally like, okay, I've listened to the Beatles for a year straight. I need something else. Found Wings. And I was right back in it all over. I mean, again. what else? What what more could you ask for after like being like, all right, I've listened to the Beatles for like a long time straight now. Like, what else can I enjoy? Like, yeah, here, not how about ever another enough, Beatles? I band. just needed something else because at that point it was <laughs> it's, an like, over. it's like the methadone. Yeah, man, I, I get it. Yeah, dude. Um, well, you know, we would we could honestly keep talking to you forever, and we appreciate you giving us your time. Um, but is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? Maybe just tell them again when your festival's coming up, and just just anything bump and uglies that they can expect, where they can find you, follow the band, just just all that good stuff before we let you go here. Yeah, man. Um, weekend of Wolfies. That's our our festival. Will be June thirteenth through the fifteenth in Bedford, Pennsylvania. We're on tour all summer on the East Coast. Um. You can stay up with us on Facebook at Uglies Nation. That's our fan group. And, um, yeah, we're on all the other socials. So just, you know, check us out. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much again for for being a part of this. We had a great time chatting with you today. Yeah, man. It was a blast talking to you. Hell yeah. Here is Self-Loathing by the Bumpin' Uglies. All right. Thank you, fellas. Alcohol's the only thing that masks these fears 
eyes screaming help while the mouth screams cheers and i'm trying to fill up this hole with achievements i lost my soul ain't got no time for bereavement 